day and welcome to episode 4 of season 2 of The Coriolis Effect. Yenringen, the Iron League. I'm Dave. And I'm Matthew. And you may already have heard, but we've got some exciting news about Free League and Yenringen. Um, did you just say Yenringen? I'm, I might have done, actually. <laughs> Hang on. So, everyone, the title of the episode is Yen Yenringen. The Iron League, <laughs> not Yen Ringen. The Iron. Do you want? To, shall we start again? No, just keep going. It's fine. <laughs> and we were just talking about how professional we were being this morning. Oh well, it never lasts. <laughs> there for we long. go. Anyway, carry on, Matt. Yen carry Ringen, on. The Iron League. That's the episode now, <laughs> and we are going to be talking uh, in the world of gaming. Uh, we've got uh, some gaming news about things of the flood. Of course, it's the last few days of that Kickstarter. Uh, Judge Dredd is kickstarting, but the big news is. The merger, more of which are non. We also want to have a bit of a chat about Forbidden Lands. Uh, we all played our first game. The first couple of uh, episodes of that have gone out on our on our uh, actual, actual play. play feed, yeah. as it were. And we just wanted to kind of uh, give it a little bit of a review, having played it, and particularly in the light of this news, compare it with uh, Simba Room. Yeah, there's going to be some interesting stuff to talk about actually both sort of on the merger and the you know what happens to those two games which are in in essence quite quite similar um, similar yeah. in, similar in principle anyway in in some principles yeah. yes yeah so um uh, hopefully they both have a long life ahead of them though well, absolutely we also want to talk about dragon meat where we will be appearing as part of the podcast zone we will and we are working on a rather special treat for attendees of dragon meat <laughs> which will be forbidden lands related but we'll tell you some more about that at the time and i've got a uh, i promised last week uh, or last in the last episode uh, a new mechanic that's been inspired by my single game of playing the expanse quick starter so we'll talk about that, and then I I think you've you've had a good um, session of uh, Spectral Corsair. Yeah, we had a good game. I'll update people on that as well. Now I can't remember if last time I I took the homework from you to talk a bit about the Liberator that I've worked on for uh, Coriolis for our for our next game in the. Well, now, you was... gave me the homework to talk about Expanse, but I think we discussed Liberator outside this, and so right. nobody knows about that. Oh. So what what is going to be uh, sort of incorrectly called the Mukafar campaign, seeing we don't actually have the Mukafar anymore as a ship? <laughs> um, you gave me a task to put together some ideas around uh, a Liberator style ship, a Blake Seven Liberator style ship that we find in the next scenario. So I haven't done that because uh, with the merger and other stuff, um, we we've don't had really other have things to talk about. For that we'll today, do that in the next episode. But I'll put that together. Don't spoil the next episode until we get to the next episode section, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> right then. Well, let's talk about the let's merger. Let's get stuck in. Yeah. So, yes. Yen Ring and, and Free League are coming together under the banner of the Free League. Now, all we've officially heard about this, this we've only heard about this kind of officially in uh, well I haven't heard it because it's in Swedish and uh, is their podcast so they released an episode episode 39 of um Signaler von Zonen that's me being really bad at speaking Swedish signals from the zone yeah signals from the zone where they announced the merger there 
We're expecting today, Friday, as we record, um, maybe some more public announcements online and on their stores. They Yeah, Nils tipped me off. Uh, Nils Carlin from Free League tipped me off that this was coming today, that the, there was going to be a, a, a formal official announcement today. Uh, so yeah, Friday the 5th of October today. Uh, and that was that was great. He then he then came back to me and said, "Oh, actually, we've spilled the beans on the podcast, so you can talk about it if you like." So uh, <laughs> so we started. So we did. About I, it. Yeah, you started putting it on Google Plus, and yeah. I, I uh, announced it on our Twitter stream and Facebook as well. Um, and we've had a, a bit of interest there. So tell me though, you had a chat with Nils. What did he say about this merger? Well, it was it was a it was a fairly brief chat, but. He was really excited by it, and I think uh, you know you could always look at these kind of mergers. Is there something? You know, what, what's the what's the motivation for doing it? Is there is there is there a bad thing that's led to this happening, or is this just a really good evolution of, of what's going on? And the sense I've got from from Nils and then from some of the other guys is they seem really excited, and it doesn't feel yes. like this is a um, a desperate attempt to prevent something bad from happening. And it's really a natural progression for them. So they've worked together for years, these guys. You know, originally, Jan Ringen created Coriolis in the first place. Uh, Matthias Lilia and Matthias Jonsson and obviously Martin Grip were mm-hmm. you know, behind all of that. And the Free League guys came along as um, freelance writers and producers so they've known these guys for years and years and years. And I remember when we spoke to the Yen Ringen guys when we were in Sweden, you know, this time last year. Yeah, about a year ago. Yeah. yeah. They were saying that it just got a bit much running the business as well as having jobs, as well as having family lives and everything else, which is why they kind of brought it to a close then. But then they realised a few years later that actually making games was great fun. But obviously it's really hard work. And I think... I think they're both both the Yen Ringen guys and Nils and Costa from Free League were telling us this is a dream to be having a, a, a job that you're working on, your hobby, the thing, things that you love. But actually, when it becomes a job, it becomes more serious and it can become a lot less fun. Yeah, when when, when yeah, when you're starting to deal with you know credit and printing schedules and stuff like that, the creative bit of the job. Is still fun, but it's weighed down with tax returns and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So I, I think this is this is a really good, a really really good move because I mean, first and foremost, the quality and the the the, the high bar of of professionalism that is surrounds both these companies mm-hmm. is excellent. You know, second to none. You know, the the quality of the games, the quality of the production values, the artwork, everything. It's all absolutely top-notch and bringing them together i think the one thing that i just thought when they were talking about it is that obviously now the new free league you've now got martin grip and simon stallenhag in the same company mm. so two of my favorite artists out there yeah. you know you are force multiplying what you can do in the one company by bringing everybody into the same team and the same goes obviously with the the other creative talent you know matthias matthias thomas nils costas ricard christian uh, yeah, and everybody else. I've already forgotten somebody who's going to get really grumpy if they listen to this, and they think, why? Why haven't they mentioned me? Yeah, so I think that seems like really good development. Yeah, and it's it's it kind of makes sense as well because you know not just Coriolis 
was you know, originally within Yenrigan. Um They had mutant heirs of doom in the first place, which then became eventually mutant year zero. So, yeah, I think it's an absolutely obvious and natural thing to do. Sounds yeah. great to me. I think it's uh, it, it bodes really well. Uh, yeah, and I think you know my outside perception of of both companies now. You know, my my relationship with Yan Ringen isn't quite the same as yours in that I've not bought any stuff off them. You, you are the Simba Room um, GM. Yeah. But my my impression as a slight outsider of that is uh, that Freer Legan have got their kind of production line sorted, and Yan Ringen's creativity coming into that is going to be. Brilliant, I mm. think. Well, we've also. So I just want to say it's it's interesting as well. I think how Free Legan have taken off in these last two or three years, with yeah, you know, they they've now got yeah a number of products in the in the pipeline simultaneously. Yeah, you know, you've got uh, things from the flood. You've got Crusader Kings. Yeah, you know, there's so much stuff that they're now doing that is coming through. That, like you say, they've they've. It looks like they've cracked, <laughs> you know, uh, unless they're enormously overburdening themselves. It looks like they've cracked that process of, of getting that game through the system and, and out the other end. With yeah. the end ring, they've only really got the one game, certainly that I'm mm-hmm. aware of, and I'm sure they've got plans for other things. So maybe part of the the merger is giving Mateus Lilia and uh, Mateus Jonsson the, the bandwidth to be able to focus on some of the other stuff. And actually help them produce mm. more games. Yeah, it sounds like a good thing. Cool. We ought to also say that we've had a bit of a preview of our friend Doug's interview with uh, Matthias Jonsson and Thomas Aronstram, which should be dropping on YouTube some point today. Victory Condition Gaming. Yeah. On on their cha- on his channel. Yeah. So that's a really interesting discussion, isn't it? I mean, go and have a look at that, and you can see Thomas and Matthias. You know, side by side, obviously, we've known each other for a long time. It just seems entirely natural, doesn't it, I think? Yeah, yeah. And I think it, it brings us to what are the changes we're going to see? Because um, what one might argue, what how does this impact us as uh, particularly, you know, if we're not Swedish and we don't know these guys personally, because everybody in Sweden knows each other personally, don't they? <laughs> yeah. um, uh, or so it seems in the gaming world there, at least. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But... If, for those of us outside, what does it mean? Uh, some things came to light there. So the first thing that comes to mind is there's a slight delay to the Swedish release of the next part of the... Is it called the Iron Crown campaign in Simba Room? Uh, Crown of... Um, Throne of Thorns. Throne of Thorns. Yeah. That's it, yeah. Now, their model has been to release that... I, I got the impression without a Kickstarter in Swedish and then to kickstart the English translation and production yes i think that's right now of course in a way that's what um free league had been doing up until forbidden lands where that that was you know co-production in in both languages kickstarted at the same time and released in swedish and in english at the same time and Mm. it seemed to me that that's what they're planning to do with that next part of the campaign in simba room yeah, I think I think that probably works quite well because I uh, one of the sort of criticisms I think of the approach that they'd taken and the approach that Free Liga had taken in the first place was that I think the the Swedish community, albeit they got their hands on the 
content and the product first, they got their hands on that and almost acted a bit as a uh, you know beta al- testers. alpha testers or beta testers. Yeah, exactly. And so I think maybe there was you know, a thought that it would be better to get it to the finished point for all their customers rather than just for their international ones. Yeah, and I think we've seen in Coriolis, which of course was released in Swedish long before the English translation, that there were some some slightly weird repetitions and things of stuff that was created for the Swedish game uh, as a supplement, but then rammed into the core book that we got in English, and stuff that didn't fit into the core book that we got as a supplement, which is a supplement the Swedish guys didn't get, but they got all that information, but it was spread over either their core book or a number of different supplements. So this homogenization of both versions, English and Swedish, is only going to help us as a fan community know what we're all talking about when we're talking to each other. Yes, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? I think the other thing that came up, which was something I mentioned to Nils, um, was, okay, great, that does, does that mean we get Simbaru with uh, the Year Zero engine? <laughs> in it? Yay! Yay! Let's have that! But the answer was no. 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 Uh, and no, I can completely no, understand that, actually. So I, I guess th- this merger does bring a, a, a wrinkle here in that you know, they've both got a fantasy role-playing game that's in some in some senses is very are very similar to each other, but in terms of, sort of game mechanics, are very different. And it does, yeah. Is there is there a bit of is there going to be a cat fight there between Forbidden Lands and Simbaroom about which one is the you know the, the dominant force for for the new free league uh, in terms of pushing it forward? And I I would hope that you know the games are very different and. The, the feel, I think, of the games are both very different. But there is, I think there is still a, a risk that one or t'other could wither on the vine a little bit because people who go to to, to, to Free League for a, a fantasy role-playing game might only pick up one of them rather than pick up both. Yeah, but then again, I think, you know, there there are different preferences. I, I'd love to have Simbaroom with the Year Zero engine because I like the Year Zero engine and I like dice pools and I don't like D20, yeah. as regular listeners to this podcast will, will be bored of hearing. But, <laughs> but there are, believe it or not, Dave, there are people out there that like D20, that like to be able to say, <laughs> if I've got, you know, I've got 75% chance of rolling 15 or under, you know, I know where I am with that, and they don't like in the the dice pool mechanic. So I am. If funny enough, we weren't going to mention this. We'd drop this in the news because uh, we've got so much. But a new version of RuneQuest has come out. Now, RuneQuest is a game that we all played. You, know, you and I played sort of thirty years ago. You're just determined but... to talk about RuneQuest, aren't you? Here was me saying, well, we, no, we there's, agreed. There's the thing here. We agreed we didn't have time for this, Matt. You know, put it. Ah. <laughs> but no, you have to just mention it anyway. There's a point there. There's a point here of similarity. <laughs> Un- so unusually, unusually for us, we've got a point. Okay, you better yes. crack on then. You better, better, better say it. Chaosium have got not one, not two, but three game systems that run the world of Glorantha in, in, that they're currently selling. So if you want um, the sort of simulationist game that RuneQuest was, then you, they've got a new version of RuneQuest. It's just come out. If you want a more gamey version, a bit like D&D, they've got 13th Age in Glorantha. And if you want a more fate-like sort of um, narrative system, they've got uh, Hero Quest. 
So they're running three game systems, they're publishing three game systems for three different sorts of people, and they're all set in the same world. Yeah, that's so, true, actually. Yeah, there's another example, which is actually you had to reduce its scope a bit, but Tales Lanta, which is kick-started, and is, I'm, I'm still waiting for the hard copy stuff to come through. They deliberately, in the Kickstarter, decided to create a number of versions of that with different mechanics, uh, deliberately to to cater for people who who you know who like one mechanic over another, which I thought was a really good idea. Even though they had to draw their draw their teeth a little bit uh, for various reasons, but they're still doing two or three versions of that. So you know, I, I think I think there's scope for a company to have two fantasy worlds and yeah. two fantasy systems. But my favourite will always be Forbidden Lands, mm. except I love the artwork in Simbroom. Forbidden Lands and Simbroom art books. That's that's the way forward. <laughs> um, well, yeah, that's, uh, so yeah. they're not going to merge those systems. Uh, I think they are going to merge websites. I think we'll see a merged website today, even from mm. from what they were telling uh, Doug in in his video. And the other interesting thing, there's a slight change to distribution. They they both still work with Modifius, so that won't change. I think that relationship of Modifius being their kind of English language distributors will carry on. But Free League hasn't had a direct relationship with Drive Through RPG, the PDF sales store, and Yanring and does. So I think we'll see now the combined Free League uh, selling all their PDFs through Yanring and um, uh, sort of presence on the store rather than Modifius's. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's it's another interesting point actually. We, presumably, with this merger. Um, Yarn Ringen as an entity is going to be wound up, so there won't be a Yarn Ringen anymore. So I guess that maybe that presence on Drive Through then has to become a a Free Legan presence rather than a, a Yarn Ringen one. Yeah, but yeah, at least though it's good that there's a place there uh, that that the the gamers another place there that gamers can get their hands on freely content because you should get your hands on freely content because it's really good. <laughs> yes. And it hopefully means that those of us who got it through Kickstarters will have the ability to download uh, things more easily. I mean, they have managed to do that with some of the games, but not all of the games. And we've been yeah. able to download copies for free from DriveThru, which is obviously a great repository of PDFs. And it will allow us to review them on, on, on DriveThru as well. I remember with Coriolis, I had to... I've written quite a long review, and of course, because I haven't bought it from DriveThru. <laughs> you couldn't. The comment section no. of the DriveThru page. So, um, so yeah, I think generally good things. There are no bad things in this thing, as far as I can see. No, as I said, I think the only, the only, you know, the only thing would be that slight delay for um, uh, the, the the Swedish community on the the next. I think it's episode four of the the Throne of Thorns. But I thought it was also just just to round up, uh, just to wrap up on this piece. I thought it was really interesting. So you've got Free League, and you've got Yenringen, and Free League's uh, logo. Is a uh, is a lily, which is designed yes. because Matthias Lilia from Jern Ringen was, uh, you know, one of the key creative forces behind Coriolis in the first place, and now they're all coming together. So I think that, that there is a sense of uh, a sense of continuity as well as uh, a sense of there being something a bit new, which I think is great. So good luck to the guys. I hope it works out really well, and look forward to many more years of top quality stuff from the new Free League. Yeah, and so the new Free League has currently got a Kickstarter going. There's only a few days of it left. Things in the flood, 
Yep. Have you kicked in, Dave? I have. Yes, I have. Of course. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is it what sort of level have you kicked in at? Oh, that's a good question. I'll have to I'll have to log into Kickstarter to do that. But it's the usual level that I go for, which is uh, where you get the physical copies of the, extras. the main stuff and the extras without going to the two deluxe level. Deluxe level. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I've kicked in at a level below that currently. I just wanted the book because you know I didn't buy the book when when you did. Uh, I bought it for my friendly local gaming store. And what for? Um, Tales from the Loop. Tales from the Loop, yeah. yeah. And so with this one, I was thinking, well, I carry on the same thing. I mean, arguably, I thought I might even just have a PDF version and treat it as an expansion. Mm-hmm. I've got to say though, those extras, particularly you know, now they've they've, they've got all those stretch goals in there and there are all sorts of things included with the next level up the rocker level yeah I'm inclined maybe to put my uh, <laughs> bid up to that you know you want to you know you want to i know to. i want to you know you want to <laughs> although I, have, I will say one thing though of all the um they just unlocked the custom dice yesterday the day before yeah and of all the custom dice that i've come across the one the ones for tales from the loop are the ones I hate the most. I think they're horrible. <laughs> and similarly, well, in with... terms of design, or yeah. in terms of the fact they keep rolling successes. Uh, you're, well, you're the GM. That's true. Uh, but no, but in terms of design, I think uh, no, I don't like them. Uh, I'm not going to send my things from the flood dice back, of course, when I get them. But still, <laughs> but that's not the thing you're looking forward to. No, no. I thought it was really interesting your interview when you co-hosted with Doug from Victory Condition Gaming about. Uh, things from the flood i think the one thing mm. i i wanted you to ask and you didn't oh i'm sorry what i know you should have know. sent me a message i know what I should know. i have asked um, well it's just about yeah is this free leagues version of you know, tales from the loop plus cthulhu is that yeah you know, and uh or, or is this actually free leagues merger of tales from the loop and cult rather than cthulhu maybe uh, as they grow up with that. But you didn't ask that question. I didn't ask that question. And unfortunately, I was walking in the lakes, so I uh, I wasn't able to to, to join you guys. Yeah, I'm sorry. But... I, I, I did think about that Cthulhu question, actually, but I didn't answer it. I didn't I didn't go there. Just... It didn't feel like the right mood. <sighs> I don't know. Oh, well. So, um, anyway, <laughs> so Things in the Flood is out there. If you listen to this podcast early enough, if we get it out early enough and you haven't already got it, then go for Things in the Flood. Remember, its predecessor won all those awards at the Ennis a couple of years back. Mm. And is a is a great game that convinced me, even though I had my doubts about it. But, uh, yeah. So I've got my doubts about the other bit of news, which hmm. we thought we'd share anyway, partly for old time's sake and partly because we <laughs> talked about it's uh, on, on, well, talked about the IP, not necessarily this system. And that's the Judge Dread. And the worlds of 2000 AD. Yes. Kickstarter. What are your thoughts on that, Dave? Hmm. I love Judge Dredd. Um, we. I thought you did. We. <laughs> you're deliberately. Yeah. I, I just love him. I want to marry him. No, it's not quite this. <laughs> um, I think that's against the law. Per... <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's okay. So Mega City One is is that kind of uh, that kind of place? Is it? Uh, anyway, let's not go down that line. Um, <laughs> We played a lot of Judge Dredd from uh, back in the day in a in a the GW system. Yeah, which I really really enjoyed. I haven't kicked in for this one. I think there's a couple of reasons. One is I'm 
I've I've had a little look at it, and I think the what's oldies new dice system is fine. I quite I'd quite like that, um, but it's got a very cartoony feel to it, and I guess naturally so because it's 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 taking it's a comic. It's Dave. taking it's, it's taking two thousand AD and putting it into uh, you know into a game. So, but I I don't know. Just right now, I'm not in the mood for that kind of look and feel for a game. And I think my second reason is, although this might be a bad reason, actually, the experience we had from the previous games, and if you're playing a judge, it does very much put the game on rails, I think, um, Mm. in a lot of cases. Because you're talking about a judge who's got a crime and they've got to go and fix that. The players, if they're playing judges, have very little latitude to go and do something else. You couldn't go if you wanted to and do something completely different, whereas... If you're playing, well, you can go if you want to and do something completely dis- different. But the special judicial squad will come and kill you. Yeah, I mean, but I, though this game, though this this Kickstarter for Judge Dread does allow you to roll up and play civilians or perps, which is all right. Uh, which I think, as I said, my 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 argument here might be a bad one, but the experience we had with playing Judge Dread back in the day, albeit great. And I really, I really enjoyed running those games and playing them with the uh, Judge Iscariot, you know, burning hell sinner. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, as a GM, it feels like it's 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 easy to get pushed on that quite narrow and linear focus for a game. Even though I'm getting, you know, I'm, I'm kind of arguing with myself a bit here, you know, in the back of my and you mind. You are, yeah. You'll, you'll convince yourself to buy it by the time <laughs> we finish. I'll, I'll just sit back and say nothing and watch. <laughs> Possibly, because. Um, some of my mo- most memorable scenarios were ones that we ran playing Judge Dredd. So, mm-hmm. you know, maybe maybe I'm I'm being a bit harsh. Uh, I guess the third reason is I've got a lot of Kickstarters in the pipeline yeah. and I'm not uh, kicking the door down to back this one. So I'm probably not going to back it. What about you? Uh, I, think, I, I think that's the key thing. In, I've got too many games that I want to play, you know, and really I shouldn't even be backing things in the flood to be honest um, (laughs) yeah so i think i think i'll let this one go i'll be interested to look at it when it hits the shops i'd hope that somebody i know might play it one day or might run it one day i wouldn't mind having a game for old time's sake yeah um, i'd love to play it i think but um usually if i'm going to back something or buy something i do so because i suspect i want to run it rather than just play it um which is probably why i'm not going to go for judge dread this time around but talking about games that I do want to uh, run, um, we've mentioned this many times before, but I'm only just mentioning it briefly. So Western, still going on. Uh-huh. I, don't, I don't know what the delivery date for that is now, but good news, obviously, this, this summer that Tove is feeling a lot better and they're in a much better place. And that's great news. Brilliant, brilliant news. But I, I on my holiday um, a couple of weeks ago, I always like to grab a an impulse buy book and this time I bought a book called Draw, The Greatest Gunfights of the American West, in order to get a feel and get some ideas for the Western campaign I'm going to run once I get the game for you guys. And that's yeah. really interesting. But a couple of things that come out of it, really, is how how dangerous it is, actually, <laughs> or how dangerous it was yeah. in the Wild West. If you were going to shoot at somebody, you're likely to get yourself killed in a pretty horrible way. And also how pathetic most of the reasons for these gunfights are. Uh, it's it really is like school ground, you know, playground stuff. A lot of it. Yeah. 
But yeah, fascinating stuff, and it's given me some really good uh, food for thought for the campaign that's uh, going to come up once once we get that lovely Western book in my hands. Yeah, I am really looking forward to that, and I think you know you're right to um, to think we shouldn't be buying other stuff until stuff like that's delivered. And yeah, yeah best wishes to Tova, um, who seems to be in remission at least, and uh, and we're looking forward to that getting delivered. It was going to be December, wasn't it? But I think it's probably going to be. A bit later now. A bit later than that, yeah. I've kind of lost track of, of when to expect it. I mean, it's not it's not a problem. I don't mind waiting at all. And certainly under the circumstances, I don't mind waiting in the slightest. Uh, I'm just keen to get my hands on it because I want to play it because I think it's going to be great. Yeah. So something we have played is Forbidden Lands. Yeah. And we thought we might have a bit of a discussion about that and um, how it went in, in game. Yeah. Go on then. So... How did it go for you? <laughs> how, how was it for you, Matthew? <laughs> well, I've got to say, as GM, I felt a lot more comfortable with the rules this time than I did when I did a test of the beta version um, <laughs> a while ago with my chums. I think, uh, I'm, I'm sure I got various things wrong, but it didn't. I didn't feel like I was getting them as wrong as much as um, as I was doing that beta version. Yeah. Um, I like how it differs from Coriolis. Yeah, and I, I'm very much enjoying the procedural nature of the game in that, you know, we used uh, the Hollows, which is a recommended sort of beginning scenario, but the way that game went was based a little bit on the dice rolls you made approaching it. So, you know, there were various options of things you could do in the Hollows. We went down a slightly spookier route there. <laughs> we didn't end up with any conflict. We we might have ended up, well, we fought a couple of ghosts, but there wasn't any really hard conflict there. <laughs> There were enough stories in the hollows that led to a situation that you guys um, uh, resolved with differing levels of success. <laughs> you've left the hollows. You've left the hollows to change place. You know, I think I know now that when you return there, if you return there, things will have happened, which I've written down which are a consequence of your interaction with them in the first place. Yeah. So I'm beginning to see how this world, my version of the Forbidden Lands, would be different from yours if you were running it or from anybody else's that's running it. And, you know, and the game is really well designed to make that happen, to make everybody's Forbidden Lands a different thing. Mm. Yeah, no, I agree. That's, uh, uh, you know, it, it was really, really good fun. Uh, I think the first thing I would, sort of just mention and ask you about get your sense so obviously this game is going back to a much more mutant year zero feel for in, ter in terms of its mechanics which is great mm -hmm. and i like that um it's also putting greater weight pressure emphasis on your own personal condition so whether you're cold hungry thirsty or sleepless that's a you know that's a mechanic in the game that really matters in the same way that it does for mutant the thing I found when I ran Mutant was uh, you have all these rules for generating on the fly the zones when you go through them, when you're exploring. But I always found that as a GM really quite clunky. And I didn't like doing it at the table because I felt it, it slowed things down. So prior to a game, I would roll up the zones that the players might get to in that, yeah. in that, in, in that next scenario, which would then be which would then be slowly building up my map of the zone, which is which is great. And maybe I'll, what I might do is pull out some of my old mutant stuff from that campaign and, and stick it up on rpggods.org just so people can have a look at what I've done. Mm -hmm. So I, my question to you is, 
that procedural nature of the game, how does it feel to you for Forbidden Lands in terms of uh, you know, not knowing, nobody knows what's going to be in the next hex that we crawl into. How does it feel for you as a GM about managing it? In which way are you, are you going to manage it? Well, I think I'm going to um, uh, go midway between the two approaches. Um, <laughs> if there is so, a third way. Know, I, 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 you know, you could conceivably bring you guys to the entrance to a dungeon and then start rolling dice to define the shape of that dungeon and the, and the creatures you meet in it yeah. from that point on in play. Part of me is really inclined to do that one day, mm. but I don't think I dare. Um, <laughs> okay. There is that point that I'm rolling a lot of dice while you guys are watching. Yeah, you know, that's my feel. But I haven't actually tried it. So I've, I've, I've shied, in Mutant, I shied away from it without trying it. So it might be worth just uh, it trying. It could be worth us doing it at, at one point. Yeah. Um, I'd, like to, I'd like to give it a try uh, from the whole thing. But I think my tendency is to do with us, you know, if we, if we were designing a dungeon, that I'd do that in advance as you've done with zones. But I am very inclined to make the random encounters truly random and as we did. So, you know, there's an interesting thing there. So it, you could argue that it might have been a rather frustrating game for you guys because the two things that you met that you could have a fight with were both ghosts. Yeah. One of those was a scripted ghost, although there was a bit of a random choice about which of the ghosts um, in the hollows you met. But you would have met a ghost in the hollows and and we rolled up a ghost and it was that ghost that attacked you. And spoilers, then spoilers, in- spoilers. <laughs> no, 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 no. The ghost that attacked has already happened. No, spo- I mean, spoilers for other people who might play Forbidden Lands and the Hollows. Right, okay. So well, you, you know yeah. there might be a ghost in the Hollows, There's a lot of ghost. choice there. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, good point. Um, and then and then there was another random attack, a random encounter afterwards, which was another ghost that mm. coincidentally attacked you. So... You know, story-wise, if I was writing a story, I wouldn't necessarily say, well, then they fight a ghost and then they fight a ghost in an entirely different and unconnected way. So there's that. that's the danger of procedural rolling. But... It didn't feel that way. It, ki- it worked. Yeah, it, it kind of worked in a way. And, you know, and, and that ghost now, that, that second ghost has a particular history. So if I roll him up again and he meets you again, actually, I think, you know, there might be a development of his story that comes out of that. So I'm going to stick, I think, with randomly rolled encounters mm. and, and on, on the fly, randomly rolled, not, not rolled necessarily before the adventure. But you could even say, right, OK, I expect them to be going through two or three hexes. You know, Let's do those random encounter rolls in advance so that we're not yeah. stopping it through the game. But I think I'll be inclined to do those in-game. Yeah, there's a couple of things there, I think. So first and foremost, when I first... The very first time I saw Forbidden Lands was coming and I saw, you know, random encounter thing, my heart sank a little bit because um, it brought to mind random encounter tables from D&D, which, Mm -hmm. in my experience, back in the day, was just a list of monsters that you might fight or creatures that you come across. So basically, it's just another fight thrown into the game for for no reason whatsoever. But having read the rules for Forbidden Lands and then having had the experience of the game that we played when you rolled up the random encounter, one 
the random encounter details and tables they've put in are a lot more diverse. So there's loads of stuff in and there. Thought through. And, yeah, yeah, it's not just it's not just here's a hobgoblin seeds. you've got to fight. It's not just or yeah. here's a lion who comes out of the woods and eats you. It's a lot more thought about. And the the, the point that you made there about yeah, you know, if you now roll that ghost again, you're going to have it as the same ghost, and the, his his story will have moved on as well as ours. So that becomes a kind of a a, a subplot line in itself, which I love. I love love that idea. But also in the game, um, there was a sense, there was a genuine sense of unpredictability when you were rolling up that random encounter, because it wasn't something you'd planned. You know, every game a GM plans what's going to happen. This was genuinely. Mm. Okay, this is genuinely random. Something's going to happen, and I don't know what it is. And but yeah. no, nobody knows what it is. So it could be anything. And I, I, I like that sense. Um, so I don't think rolling the random encounters at the table is a bad thing. I think that's actually a really, a really positive thing if it's done, if it's done in a good way. Yeah, and that very first random encounter, you know, where I said, right, okay, you sent something, and then I roll the dice and see what it is. Um, that sets up a tension there. Yeah. Um, Absolutely, uh, which which I think worked for everybody, and you know, at my heart, I'm a relatively low prep GM as well. So we have noticed, yeah, <laughs> like so, not even reading the scenario before the game, kind of low prep. Which, uh, which, <laughs> which, which one are we talking about now? I can't remember. There's been so many. <laughs> yeah, so so this this I think is the toolkit that I need to make it look like. I'm being low prep on purpose. <laughs> As opposed to being just disorganised. <laughs> As opposed to just being disorganised. Uh, exactly. Yeah. No. It was good. I mean, I really enjoyed the game. I really enjoyed the experience of randomly rolling up my character. Even though... Yes. Even though joked on the day that, uh, you know, I rolled up the most boring possible race I could. In but the you haven't, have you? I haven't now, no. I really... I, mean, well, I did, I did have did a second roll. from a human. Yeah, I did. But I'm liking my elf very much now. Yeah. Uh, as a character, you know, we, we, you know, this was a one-off for us initially, but I think mm-hmm. we've all got a connection you, to the. You characters. all seem to want to play the campaign. Now, yeah, so. absolutely. I, I don't want to roll up a new character. Um, I want to play the guy that I've rolled up and played once already. So that's good. Really good. The random generation is a nice change. Again, I think I've spoken before about. You know, so many games nowadays don't have much of a random element, you know, if any, really, yeah. in character generation. Sometimes it's nice to be given something that you go, oh, okay, what have I got here? And then you make it work. And that that was refreshing to do that again. I liked it very much. So, uh, yeah, it was a good idea of yours to make to make us randomly roll the characters up. Yeah. And, of course, I guess that, that uh, is a nice segue into what we plan to do at Dragon Meat this year. We're so good, aren't we? I mean, we're just, we're just smoothly segueing from one thing to the next. Yeah, Anyone would think we'd been doing this for a year. Uh, first of all, let's uh, hashtag podcast zone, hashtag Dragon Meat. Yep. Um, we, we will be at Dragon Meat as part of the podcast, uh, podcast zone uh, this year in the first weekend of December. December I think it's December. Which I think is the second. Um, it is... <laughs> It is the 1st of December. The very 1st. Sorry, yeah. So it's a Saturday. Hmm. Um, so if you're uh, London-based or can get to London, uh, come and join us uh, at Dragon Meat, which is London's friendliest tabletop gaming convention. Ah. 
and we'll be there with the podcast soon uh, so you can come and have a chat with us about anything but there's something specific that we are planning yeah and we're working with our fellow podcast owners to make it happen and that is a random character generation for forbidden lands characters and then a sort of I wouldn't call it a mini scenario, uh, but then a, 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 should we call it a challenge? It's the it's the Coriolis effect, Forbidden Lands, Grindbone Slavers Tournament. Come on, big it up! It's the Grindbone Slavers Tournament. Bloody hell! Big it up! Yes. Oh, yeah. You're going to roll I a mean, character. This is a kind. This is a kind of scenario thing, and it's, yeah, that's really exciting, right, guys? This is a tournament. You get to come along, roll up characters randomly, and then you fight each other, and then the person who wins. Uh, who survives through to the final? Do they win a prize? I don't know. If we can get some prizes, well, I don't know. We'll have to think about a prize. The prize would be a hug from Matthew. So, <laughs> <laughs> at the very least, it'll be a hug from me. Or uh, maybe the top prize is not a hug from me. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll we'll think about prizes. But what we've got to begin with is the opportunity to roll up a character with one of us, with all the books, the way you do it in the Legends and Adventurers kit, you that gives you a bunch of equipment as well, some of which may be useful, some of which may not be useful if you find yourself in the slave pits of Grindbone. Bad luck. <laughs> because the next thing you'll do is in pairs, you'll be fighting uh, another pair of players in a knockout tournament, and uh, you will come to love your characters as you watch them die, or <laughs> as you watch them get broken. Uh, actually, it'll be interesting to see how many of them actually die and how many just get broken and dragged off the field. And our deal is the, the slavers of Grindbone have agreed with us that anybody who participates in the tournament is released in whatever state they are with all their original possessions or the ones that didn't break in the actual fight. And so you get to keep your character sheet and mm-hmm. start a Forbidden Lands campaign of your very own back in your house <laughs> with a character that you've grown to love. Yeah, indeed. So we'll have um, sign-up sheets on the morning and then we will be running that in the afternoon at Dragon Meat in our Podcast Zone recording studio. And we're working with... A, let's give a shout-out to the Forble Gamer as well. Yep, go, go, Dan. Uh, the Forble, uh, the, the Forble Gamer um, will be providing the uh, recording equipment for that. So not only will you will you roll up a character and will you fight, but you'll be recorded doing so, and then we'll release the tournament in some form on uh, future episodes of this very podcast. Indeed. So yeah, hopefully that should be a lot of fun. Looking forward to a bit of fun there. And just, as I say, if you, if you want to come along and sign up, find us in the morning. We'll have a number of slots, uh, but obviously a finite number. So if you're keen to join, then come and find us early. And um, be ready to roll up a, a a halfling peddler who has got no fighting skills whatsoever. But you can do your best anyway. You still you still might win. You never might know. not have any fighting skills. He'll still have a couple of dice to roll. He will um, definitely you know. have dice to roll. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Just before we leave the subject of Forbidden Lands, obviously the news of the merger between the Iron Ring and the Free League. Um, to become the Iron League. Uh, no, they're going to stay the Free League. <laughs> they are staying the Free League. confuse yeah. everybody. No, absolutely. Um, you did talk about the exciting possibility of Simba Room with a lovely Mutant Year Zero dice pool. <laughs> yes. Um, now, that's not going to happen, but has playing Forbidden Lands given you any ideas about how we might play Simba Room in future in your campaign? 
Well, what it has done, what it has done is 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 flagged to me that um, I think one of the key intentions of Simbaroom for a Simbaroom game uh, that I think Mateus and and uh, Mateus had in mind was it was a you know a hex crawling kind of game where you go into the forest of Davakar and you search for treasure. And we mm. haven't done that. The way we've set up our campaign is is very different, kind of deliberately so, because I wanted to have something that was uh, a little um, a, a little narrower in scope and sort of smaller stories rather than uh, you know the the big uh, stories that we've been playing in Game of Thrones, for example, in the campaign that I've been running there, which were mm. very much about kings and lords and uh, if you know events that affect the whole land. I wanted something that was a bit. You know, a bit smaller scale, a bit sort of homegrown. So I think there's one thing that's come out of Forbidden Lands is actually there is that element for Simbarum of treasure hunting. But I don't think that's necessarily what's going to happen in this particular campaign with Potboy and the two changelings. Unless you guys want to do that. You know, it's obviously up to you. The other thing, I really like the Year Zero engine. Um, as we know, mm-hmm. I would quite like to maybe just have a go at running Simbaroom with it but I do wonder if that might take away some of the Simbaroom-ness of the game and if I'm going to do that why not why don't I just run Forbidden Lands you know because we've got yes. the game there with with that system in it but I still have a sort of nagging doubt nagging feeling um, about the d20 mechanic I don't really like the binary nature of that as well i don't mind it but i don't like it as much as i like a dice pool system so i've been thinking yeah. and we've talked a little bit about is there a way of trying to just um change the the mechanics a little bit tweak the mechanics for simba room whilst keeping its its look and feel but making it a bit less off a cliff if you succeed or fail and mm. i you know, we discussed before well, maybe we add a second dice. So you get to roll two dice. And if you succeed on either of those, you get a success. If you succeed on both, you get um, yeah, a bonus to your An success. An extraordinary success or something. Yeah. Which I think is, is, is a possible idea. But what you've done there is simply upped the chances of succeeding. <laughs> you know, yes. you've just given your player a second chance at every single roll. So they're going to succeed more often. Is that right? I'm not sure. Well, given the nature of this world of Simbaroom, which is meant to be dark and painful, is it right? You know, I guess it makes it a little bit more pulpy. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's that's true. Um, I mean, there could be an element in that which, you know, me as the GM could try and manage, which would be you get to roll two dice, but... If you succeed on only one, you get a lesser success. So you increase the chances of success, but you take away a little bit of the extent of that success. Mm. You could also perhaps say, I could let the players roll as many dice as they want, but the more dice they roll, the weaker the success becomes. Up to a limit. That might mm. be an option. I just had that, that thought this, this very second, actually. Because I was I was, I was thinking, we, we're going to play the next uh, scenario in... The uh, Lonesome Ogre campaign in eight days, a week tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And I've already thought in that there are some things, some skills, some roles you can make, which actually I think you can roll more dice. 
So, for example, there are uh, one example would be if you're trying to find out information about something from the town, say, you could roll three dice and the number of successes you get then tells you how much information you find. So you don't find absolutely no information or you don't find absolutely everything. The number of successes lands you somewhere on that spectrum. So I'm going to try Mm. that in the next game for those things. But that in of itself doesn't automatically work in a uh, much more binary situation of combat, say, where either you hit somebody or you don't. But the idea of having more dice, that the players could then decide how many dice they want to roll, accepting that if they only get one success, they're going to get a much reduced outcome of that attack or that, that action. I quite like that idea. What, what, how does that sound? Yeah. What's your thought? Well, I, uh, that sounds like an intriguing idea. So it isn't so much the, the binary note. Well, it isn't so much the chance of failure being any different with a D20 over a dice pool system. It's the fact that there isn't, you know, as you say, that very binary nature that a failure is a failure and a success is a success. Yeah. So I like the idea of maybe having a mechanic where you can have a, you know, a, a strong success or a weaker success, which, um, yeah. which is what the dice pool manages to do in Coriolis and the other games we play. But yeah, we're going to have to test it out. Yeah, I think I will give that a go, and I think I'll give, I'll give it, I'll give the option to the player. I'll let the player yeah. decide whether they want to roll one, two, or three dice, say. But obviously, the more dice you roll, the weaker the the effect will be. Yeah, let's try that in a couple of weeks. Cool. Okay, we'll give that a go. I and knew report it was back be. on it. You knew it was going to be a worthwhile discussion. Talking about this, a worthwhile discussion. Excellent. Which yeah. it was. Now, actually. And that's a nice segue into a thing that I must admit I was hoping to have tried um, in play before now. As it turns out, uh, we uh, since we last spoke about um, the Al Buddha here campaign, we haven't been able to play. And in fact, I've, I'm going to have to take about a month off to concentrate on my PhD. So I'm not going to get a chance to do this for a month. So I was hoping to talk about the next thing that we're going to talk about with some knowledge of actually having played it. <laughs> I haven't tested it out. But let's talk about extended manipulation challenges. Yeah, cool. You have heard me grumble about the reputation of manipulation mechanics in Coriolis. My biggest gripe, as I explained in Season 1, Episode 17, is the potential for two starting characters to have a modifier of plus or minus six on manipulation rolls. A few weeks ago, I played the quick start for the new Expanse RPG. It didn't make me want to kick in for the game, but I did like their social encounter rules. In that system, you have to work on building a relationship with your interlocutor, winning them over with a sequence of approaches and roles. For example, though they might be suspicious of you to begin with, you might buy them a drink to shift their attitude to a more neutral one. Then you might, for example, flirt with them to make their attitude more positive, friendly even, then hit them with the question you really wanted to ask in the first place. We'd recently been playing Tales from the Loop, and this longer social encounter mechanic reminded me of extended trouble from that Year Zero engine game. That is only really used in the climactic scene of an adventure. Most of the troubles player characters face in loop adventures can be overcome, or not, with one simple role, 
Remember, in loop, the GM doesn't roll. It's a player-facing game. So I thought, could we create something like an extended trouble for more dramatic manipulation roles? I think we can. Now, I have to be clear. I've not tested it in play yet. I'm having to take some time away from my local group, so the opportunity to do so won't come up for a month or so. But this is my idea. Rather than use the difference in reputation as a modifier on manipulation rolls, make it a target. Make it the number of successes one party has to roll to manipulate the other. 1. Work out the difference between the reputation of the person you want to manipulate and that of the member of your party present in the scene with the lowest reputation. Which is to say that you may well be a courtesan with a high manipulation skill and an excellent reputation. But if you brought with you your humanoid soldier with a rep of one or two, or zero, it's that reputation you're comparing, not yours. Face bad always work best without BA around. 2. That difference is the target, the number of successes you need to get though it never goes below one. You always have to get one success, of course, which means that between two characters with the same reputation, manipulation roles would work pretty much as they do already. The same would be true if the characters had one rank of reputation difference between them, although the die modifier that the rules mandate would not apply under this system. 3. If the target is between one and two, or maybe three, the manipulator can risk a single die roll. If it is four or more, an extended manipulation attempt is required. The manipulator, and their allies if they wish, must work their way to achieving the objective. 4. Make a series of social gambits which might include offers or requests for hospitality, the exchange of gifts, ceremonial tea, compliments, chat-up lines, etc. Banking your successes against the target. 5. Each roll will be modified by your opponent's attitude towards you. Zero modifier if their attitude is neutral. Minus one die if they're suspicious of you. Minus two dice if they're hostile. Maybe minus three dice when there are other aggravating circumstances. You can get positive modifiers too. Maybe plus one die if they owe you a favour or plus two if they're a real friend already. 6. You must bank at least one success against your target with every roll. If you fail to do so at any stage, the extended manipulation challenge is over. If you get extra successes with any roll, you can bank them against your target too, or you can spend no more than one extra success to reduce a negative modifier by one die. 7. When you are close to your target, you can risk asking your opponent for your objective. If you achieve your target number of successes with previous social gambits, you still need to make one more roll to ask for your objective. So, for example, if you want a favour from some high-ranking factionary, you might need six or seven successes, but you don't need them all in one roll. You would, of course, if you demanded that favour straight away, but a wise traveller in the Third Horizon knows not to be so rude. You and your crew know how to be polite. So you might start by humbly requesting hospitality and make a roll for that. 
maybe with one less die because the factionary is suspicious of your motives, and you earn one or two successes. Bank those against your target and compliment your host upon the quality of their baklava. You earn another couple of successes here and choose to spend one to reduce his suspicions to a neutral attitude. Offer to pour the tea. Roll and earn another couple of successes. That's four successes against your target of six. You could butter up the factionery, but time is short. You ask for the favour and roll. You can always offer a prayer to the icons if you say the wrong thing. I like this, but I've got a couple of a couple of thoughts. So I think the thing that I really like is the idea that you can slowly influence somebody and convince them to come around to your way of thinking um, rather than having to do it as we were talking about a minute ago in a very binary way either you persuade them right now or you don't so i really like that extended manipulation sort of process that you've got in here yeah and my experience limited as it is of the extended trouble in tales from the loop which we've only played the once but that extended trouble worked really well i thought at the end of that scenario and i was a bit dubious about it but it worked it worked brilliantly so i you know i think there is there is stuff here that could work really really yeah. well i'm assuming that this process can be played out across you know a whole afternoon's game so you start the game trying to persuade someone it's only at the end of that game or do you see it as uh like you know like extended trouble in in tales from the loop that you kind of resolve it all as one thing at the table at that moment well, I, I, I think you've, you've got some options. So extended trouble, one of the things I haven't made explicit in what I've just said is, of course, with the extended trouble in um, Tales in the Loop, the whole party has to contribute. Yeah. Everybody rolls a dice. The leader might, you know, might might make some bonuses on that, depending on how they do it. That's, that's because it's kind of summarising a, a scene of the, you know, of the programme. Exactly. That might be five yeah. minutes in a couple of rolls, yeah. And so, so I think one of the things you could do is have different members of your party contributing to the success. It doesn't all have to be the face man doing all the rolls. Yeah. Um, as so, it could be quite flexible in that regard. But it could it could just be the face man doing all the rolls and the guys sitting idly um, <laughs> or standing idly by and just being set dressing or menacing or whatever. But yeah, you raise the interesting prospect of maybe it taking time. So you bank these roles over a number of scenes. Yeah. And admittedly, I hadn't really thought about that. I'd thought about effectively saying, you know, there, there have been a couple of times when, you know, we've had a scenario where there hasn't been much shooting because we've been talking our way out of it and and manipulating um, people out of it. And actually, those, those scenes have worked pretty well. Mm. But it, in a way, it's a trying to stretch out one of those scenes so if you're if your climactic confrontation at the end of it is actually a talky conversation and not a shooty one um how do you get a thing where everybody contributes and in roll some dice and and, and there's some tension that just drags it out a little bit yeah. and makes it into a proper scene but yeah there's no reason why you couldn't do it over a course of time and there could be you know a sending let's send this gift in advance let's buy this gift now send it to him and then we're going to meet him next tuesday or whatever hmm I think you know that could work quite well. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting because there is there's a parallel in uh, Game of Thrones, uh, Song of Ice and Fire role playing game, which is which they call intrigue, which is basically like combat but for manipulating people, and mm. 
that that works that works really well it's a but it is a bit complicated and your your chances of success are modified by how the person you're talking to feels about you and there are some quite complicated rules to work out you know what their disposition to you is and vice versa so it just becomes a bit clunky although it does work it does work quite well if you don't sort of worry too much about you know going by the letter of the rules to make sure you've got it exactly as the rules say you should but you know so the way i run these things if you know people probably noticed is if it feels right and it's just about right i'll run with it rather than spend hours going through the rule book to make sure it's exactly right to the last decimal point maximum game fun precisely yeah how complicated do you feel this would be for you as a gm to manage well i've tried to make it simple yeah so the key thing is you've got to work out the difference so it doesn't if the difference isn't massive actually it doesn't change much at all to the current system if you're two people who are of a like sort of uh, rank in terms of reputation then it kind of gets rid of the modifier um, and gives you some different modifiers which are more attitudinal based so but i think my my i've tried to keep my modifiers very simple so there's an idea of you know if they're entirely neutral there are no modifiers if they're your mate it's plus one or plus two if they're suspicious of you it's minus one or minus two or if you know if there's extenuating circumstances like you've just had a gunfight um, maybe it's minus three hmm. but that's it yeah and you know and then that fits in with the modifiers on all the other roles in um in coriolis which are only ever modified by by one to three effectively yeah and and you can even you don't need, need to use those modifiers in a way you could just roll the dice if you wanted to make it even simpler yeah the key thing is what is the difference between your reputation and theirs yeah and that's interesting because there's a point here i'm going to sort of pull out which you talk about the difference you know the reputation difference is between the person you're trying to manipulate and the member of your party who's present who's got the lowest reputation now yeah i i can kind of see how that might work in certain circumstances but if you've got let's say some noble person who's going to have a high reputation trying to manipulate somebody and they've got their manservant with them who's got a low reputation it doesn't feel right that the reputation difference should be based on the manservant rather than the person because surely the person you're trying to manipulate the person you're trying to manipulate will be influenced by the person of highest reputation in that group rather than the lowest I guess you know that that that's that's a fair point. If you imagine, um, I, I've spent some of my time being uh, an 18th century manservant in my professional life, weirdly, <laughs> and of course, as such, I'm almost like a badge of honour for the person that I'm following around. You know, the fact that you've got these people standing on your left hand shoulder just behind you all the time is is in itself a badge of rank. It's a de- yeah, demonstration of your of your power and reputation. Exactly. <laughs> um, but I guess with that, I was thinking of the normal scum and villainy that a player character group descends into. Yeah. So I was thinking it's it, it's not so much about you and your manservant. It's about, as I say, face man and B.A. Baracus. B.A. Baracus, let us remind ourselves, is called B.A. because he has a bad attitude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, yes. So yeah, his reputation would negatively affect you, whereas um, you know an actual manservant, I think, probably wouldn't. It probably needs some tweaking in that regard. I need to think about that without making it too complicated. Yeah, it's probably though. It's 
it's a bit situational, isn't it? And maybe it's then up to the GM yeah. to decide how it applies, depending upon the circumstances your your characters are actually facing at that moment. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. The the last thing I was going to mention. So. How do how does it work? I can see how it works if you've got a lower reputation than the person you're trying to influence. What if you've got a much higher reputation than the person you're trying to influence? How does that work? Yeah, well, I didn't make this specific, but in my head, I'm thinking it works in exactly the same way. So it isn't a positive or negative modifier like it like it is in the book. It's simply that you are of such a different reputational class, that person, that... If you're a posh person trying to convince, let's let's not use the word posh. If you've got a high reputation, (laughs) trying to convince somebody with a low reputation to do something for you, you're going to need to work just as hard. Yeah. How do you how how do you decide the 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 target number then in that instance? So so let's say you've got reputation of nine and you are talking to a hoodlum with a reputation of three, which is still pretty high actually. then you've got a gap of six between you. If he were trying to convince you to do a thing, it would be six um, successes he needs to get. But actually, if you want to convince this oik to do something for you, you've got to get six successes too. To convince okay, you, to right, trust you. right. I get it. But I didn't make that explicit because I'm not sure about that rule. Um, Although I think that works, though, because the, the opposite... Again, it'll be situational, won't it? But just because some noble toff comes along and tries to influence some, yeah, you, know, you know, some low-level street urchin or something, just because that person's got a high reputation in his circles, that might have a negative impact on the street urchin. He might be all sort of toff. I hate you and your sort. That's exactly my yeah. thought. Or even, you know, they might say, oh, you know, they tip their cap to you, Saror, and 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 look like they're doing the thing but then just run off with the money or whatever hmm. yeah um so yeah i don't know i haven't i haven't worked it out i really want to play the rules mm. and see whether yeah i'm um, interested to... it makes sense well maybe it'll come up when we have our uh weekend away yeah mm, since you're all on a prison planet then and therefore effectively got a reputation of quite low maybe not <laughs> we'll see <laughs> depends how long we're on the prison planet for i guess <laughs> um cool. yeah what was I going to say? I think you've said an important point, and you've mentioned a couple of times it's situational, and I think this is an optional rule. It isn't one to use every time. Yeah, it's when the encounter really matters. Yeah, and and where you gain something for not having the the, the whole the whole manipulation rely upon just one role. Yeah, yeah, you know, and I think it's interesting. I'm I'm doing this just as Ricard has published on uh, Facebook and and um, uh, the G Plus group. He's simplified combat. So if you don't, mm. you know, if you want to reduce combat to just one role, there's a system for doing that. Yeah. And here I am saying, if you want to do uh, social interaction to increase it to more than <laughs> one role, here's well, a system to do that. Oh, well, two things though. One, I think certainly in Coriolis, combat is so short that I don't feel the need to shorten it any further. But I guess some people no. might do, depending on how many uh, protagonists you got in the fight. But for this one, I the, the manipulation, I could see running a whole scenario just about influencing somebody and you know yeah trying to persuade them to a certain course of action using this kind of rule i think that's uh that's a nice it's a really nice addition good work matt brilliant okay now tell me or you have told me already but not you haven't said very much about it uh-huh. you had some interesting moral choices <laughs> for your players in the spectral corsair campaign yes we had a game this week and uh, unfortunately it was the 
first one when two of my players have gone back to university. So both of my sons have gone off to uni, so they weren't around. Um, Paul couldn't make it either, unfortunately. So we had three of us. And then Pete had to leave early. So it ended up with only being <laughs> Tony and Connor for the last hour. But that didn't really, didn't really matter. So if you remember, they just fled Coriolis, having suddenly agreed to um, spirit away Sister Mariam, who had been, they thought, uh, a witch smeller from the Covenstead of Focas from Zalos that they were trying to kill. She's told mm-hmm. them that she's actually an operative of Alarm's Temple and she'd been infiltrating the Covenstead for, uh, for their purposes. And so they agreed to try and get her back to Menkar so she could report back um, what was happening. Uh, and they, they then fled Coriolis. So we decided that um, Ajit and Osgar, which are Morgan and Dean's characters, have left in Morgan's ship to go back and report to the Legion because they've left without permission and cover the escape of the others with, with Sister mm. Mariam. So that explains their absence quite, quite nicely, uh, thankfully. So they decided to go to Trini in Iwaz on their way to Menkar, but the first thing they needed to do was find some work. So they went and um, have picked up some passengers and have got some cargo, which they found on, on Trini. But whilst they were there, Hanbel spotted a person he thought looked exactly the same as the third Zalusian target they were supposed to be investigating on Coriolis. And this guy is called Robart Alfaco, and he'd been negotiating with Sedalians on Coriolis about a, uh, an alliance between Sedal and Zalos to bring Sedal into the war. They heard about this and they overheard them, uh, Alfaco, talking to some mooks in a cantina about having to uh, meet a certain person and time is of the essence and they've got to, got to get going. So even though they weren't part of the Legion anymore, this piqued Hanbal's interest. And they had a bit of a question of, well, why are we bothering with him? <laughs> you know, if, uh, if uh, you know, we don't work for the Legion anymore, what do we care? Let's just get to Menkar. But uh, Hanbal followed him to Moeen's Silver Palace, which is a complex of theatres and hotels uh, with a hammam and a casino and a saloon bar. And was trying to work out basically what he was up to. Subsequently, they spoke to Sister Mariam about it. And she said, well, look, don't care whether you're working for the Legion or not. Um, if Sadal joins the war with Zalos, then it's going mm-hmm. to extend the war. It's going to be much worse. Many more people are going to die. We've got to stop Alfaco passing whatever message it is he's got, passing it on. Um, he's got to die. We've got to kill him. So uh, they managed to infiltrate... She's them. a lovely person, isn't she? <laughs> well, for the, for the greater good of the Third Horizon uh, and saving thousands of four, you know, tens of thousands of innocent lives. You know, the needs of the many and all that outweigh the needs of the few. So they, they, they're having this little debate about, well, actually, I don't mind killing Alfaker. He's Zelosian. He's, uh, he's a bad guy. Yes, why not? We can, we can do that. They managed to infiltrate themselves into uh, their group, um, Alfaco's group and were putting themselves forward as you know ship the ship's captain that is being arranged to take them take them forward take them uh, towards Sadal which is where they wanted to go and in the group um, Alfaco had met a Sadalian poet called Mahar who was a world-renowned poet but was obviously working as Alfaco's contact 
There were also a couple of other Sedalians with him as well, who were going to be going on the ship. So they finally agreed that, yes, they will be the ship, the, 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 the Spectre Corsair will take them onto Sedal, in the full knowledge that they were going to get them on the ship and kill them. So this was fine. They, you know, they, they'd worked this out. And it was all going well until it got to the point when they were actually on the ship. And they, they came into the cargo bay, they closed the cargo bay doors, and suddenly Norsa, the Nekatra, who'd built up a bit of a relationship with the poet, was like, I can't kill him. I don't want to kill the poet, this is not fair. Tony killed Alfaco quite quickly, mm-hmm. and sort of put him down quite, quite happily. Uh, he's got a hatred of first come, and I spent a couple of darkness points in the game to... Yeah, kick that in for him a little bit because all these people are first come. So he was quite happy killing Alfaco and they managed to kill him without too much trouble. They then had a bit of a fight on the cargo deck and this was the this was the debate. So it was a debate between yes, they, they got that Alfaco needed to die, but did they need to kill the others as well? So there were in effect three kind of innocent people who were who they were going to cold bloodedly murder. And they had a bit of an argument about whether or not this was the right thing to do. And they eventually reasoned that if they let them go, not only are they at risk, because these people will have witnessed them murdering Alfaco, but perhaps it would even draw Sadal closer to Zalos in that situation. So it might, by killing Alfaco and not killing them, they might have actually served Zalos's purposes to bring Sadal into the war on their side. So they had quite a debate about this, but in the end, they decided to to kill them. And Hanbal was very cold-blooded in finishing off the poet. Uh, he'd, he'd met him earlier on and had tried to fool the poet to draw him into a conversation that he was a great fan of the poet. But then the poet said, ah, okay, well, which, which of my works is your favourite? And so obviously he couldn't, get out of that so he then had to he had to admit that he you know he didn't really know his work but he could tell he was a great a great artist and then tony playing handball at the end when he was finishing off this poor poet maha had to say yeah i hate your poetry it's shit before he killed him <laughs> just to really cold-bloodedly do it and then uh, sister mariam was mm, well done you know welcome to uh, the world of alarms temple where You've had your first cold-blooded murder for the good of the horizon. And that was the end of the scenario. But it worked out really well. And the guys really enjoyed it and had a lot of backwards and forwards debating about what was going to be a quadruple cold-blooded murder. But they did it in the end. But it worked out. It was a good, really good scenario. Um, Looking forward to the next one. Cool. So next episode, what are we talking about? Liberator. Liberator, yeah. I ought to explain a little bit about <laughs> why I've commissioned you to do this. So in my next scenario, it's terrible. I'm giving spoilers away to the person who's playing in the scenario. I know, you've already done that, though. It's a bit late. But uh, I'm, gi- I'm giving it to everybody else now. It does feel a bit weird I have this vision. that I'm going to be... It does feel a bit weird that I'm going to be... Or, you know, have half-designed the ship that I don't know I'm going to find yet. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, go on. It's- so uh, I got this vision of four towers stuck in a sort of ice flow on this prison planet, and it the, the 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 people around you kind of treat it like some sort of temple, but it's actually 
uh, an ancient craft based on the Liberator from Blake 7. Mm. And I know you like designing ships. I could have designed the ship myself, but given that I'm taking away a ship that you personally designed, I thought it was <laughs> only fair to let you design it. So you'll come back and tell us all about the Liberator in the next scenario, in the next episode, which will be before we've played it. So you won't even have discovered it yet. <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Anything else? Should we should we have a look at another one of the factions? Yeah. Have you um, have you got one that you want to look at? We haven't done Alarm's Temple, have we? I no, I did that. Who did Alarm's Temple? Yeah. I, I, Where are we at? How could you, how can you not remember? Oh, it was it was a classic day. It was a classic. <laughs> it was you said seared into my memory. Oh, you did say, oh, that's so great. I really really want to play Alarm's Temple now. Ah, uh, yeah. No, that was it. Yeah, yeah. But I, I've moved on from that. I'm all about the wooden lands now. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, th- no, I uh, tell you what, I think what I was saying when I have, we haven't looked at the Draconites, have we? We've done so many, actually, I can't we? remember. I don't think we have. Not in. Uh, did you... Tell you what, our homework will be to, work to out check which, one. which, <laughs> which uh, one we haven't done and then do that one and... or do one of those that we haven't done. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Good. I'm glad you worked that out. Brilliant. Okay, we'll see you in three weeks or so. Yep. Uh, but in the meantime, may the icons bless your adventures. Goodbye. been listening to The Coriolis Effect, presented by Fiction Suit with the RPG Gods, with music by Stars on a Black Sea, used with permission of Free League Publishing. Imagery from NASA and the Hubble Space Telescope, brought to you by Wikimedia Commons. Typeface is code by Font Fabric. <laughs>